Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 5 of We've Lost the Plot, a book podcast. My name's Devin Wright. And I'm Caroline Ault, and I'm here to talk about the important things. Hot or not, Woodward or Bernstein? Let's get into the conversation. So Woodward, I would give him maybe like a 7 out of 10. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of him right now. He has kind of like this curly, wavy hair, and I'm kind of into it. But also, I'm not talking about the movie. I am definitely talking about the real guy. But he has like a like a big eyes that show excitement for the future. But his hair, I can't stop looking at it. Carol, you told me that this was an intro bit, not the entire podcast. <laughs> I'm... So that's my points on Woodward. Um, I'd also like to add that he was very, of course, important to this whole tale, which is all the president's men. He was the contact for Deep Throat through the whole thing. Hey, but I, I'm, which is a porn thing. I learned that in the book. It is a porn thing. <laughs> so back to Woodward's face. I'm looking at it, and of course these are grainy, saturated '70s uh, snapshots. But he just looks so youthful. And also, like, he's going to make a big mistake all the time. He also looks like he rides a scooter to work. Now, moving on to Bernstein, hot or not. And then I'll rule at the end if they're hot or whatever. I think Bernstein's kind of, like, he's a little bit older, right? I'm not sure, but Carol, honestly, I feel older just sitting through this bit. <laughs> so please. So he's a little just... bit older, and his hair is very feathered, which I'm also into. His tie in this picture it's is bigger wide. than his head. <laughs> it's too big. <laughs> I don't like that too much, um, and he looks like he's probably pissed off. In the end, I'm going to rule them both hot, but very hesitantly. All right. Thanks, so, everyone. So this week we read uh, All the President's Men, if you couldn't tell. I know yeah. I mentioned it, but now let's drive it home. So this week we read All the President's Men, which is by Woodward and Bernstein. Carl Bernstein and... Bob Woodward. Bob and Woodward. It's a book that kind of chronicles the investigative journalism that led kind to of the, chronicles. It does chronicle it literally chronicles the Watergate investigation. The Watergate investigation and For those of you who don't the, know, of course, these are the guys who who figured out the problem, which is Watergate <laughs> and well, scandals. Yeah. So specifically, the Washington Post was the spearhead of the Watergate investigation prior to the Watergate Commission and. They were spearheaded within themselves by Woodward and Bernstein. So two since hot shots. Two, two hotshot journalists spend <laughs> almost 500 pages telling you names. And expect you to remember them. Yeah. Um, I did not. There's a very helpful uh, appendix at the beginning that has all the names there that is. I flipped back through multiple times. Pull, I didn't flip back through. I just kind of winged it. Nice. I was like... So, that probably sounds like one of the president's men. This <laughs> you can you can rest assured if you see a name in the book that you don't recognize, it, he's probably one of the president's men. The one I remember the most was John Dean. I really like uh, Sloan. I like John Dean because he was like the kind of sexy one, and everyone trusted him because he was hot. Yeah. Anyway, which is the angle I would want to go to. So, I couldn't remember who Henry Kissinger was throughout the whole book. <laughs> Considering the fact that <laughs> Caro did a three-minute segment on the hotness levels of Woodward and Bernstein, uh, we're not going to do a one-minute recap because, honestly, this you is can't. a nonfiction book. And it's boring. And it's history. So, like, we're not going to do a one-minute recap of history because who wants to listen to that? 
there are other podcasts for that that are better than this one. So We are unqualified for that. Instead, we can just actually hop into the book. And since, again, this is a nonfiction book, we're not going to go through it chapter by chapter. I really don't even think a plot summary is necessary. So, like, Nixon did a bad thing, and then these guys figured it out, and then Nixon resigned. Right. And that's the plot. That's the, that's the plot. We found it. So... Moving on from here, I think what I want... Last episode, first, Kara, we took a yes. bit of a break. We did, because I'm tired. We took and a bit also of a break. you're tired. I'm, I'm also tired. We're all tired? We recorded um, Hamlet a while back, and we just ended up uh, releasing it uh, later than expected. Um, so it's actually been quite a while since we've recorded, so we're not quite back in the groove of talking about books. And I think that coming back and talking about specifically this book which is very dense and very uh, slow. Yes, uh, extremely. I think it's a lot to of, go... like, I went back home. Or not I, Woodward went back home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This book is written by Bob Woodward. You wouldn't know because he does write it in third person, which is probably the weirdest choice I've ever read It's very read charming, book. though. It is not charming. <laughs> I did not like it at all. I wish he just said me and Bernstein. Like, oh, just a lot of, like, I went back home and ate a pizza, and I contemplated oh my god, it was Sloan, and then like, yeah, so driving back <laughs> to the FBI headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think a chapter by chapter thing is relevant. I don't think our discussion of it would be that useful. And I also think it'd be really boring. So we're not going to do that. And instead, talk about the book as a whole, why we should read it, or perhaps why we should watch it and why, you know, it's relevant today. What I'd <laughs> glancing at our notes, which are very thorough. They're very and thorough. Good. There's about seven bullet points, three of which are Kara's and four of which are mine. The first Devin thing you have on the really list. Devin has a really bad one, so it hardly counts. We're about even in bullet yeah. point. Well, you know, your first one is uh, the phrase, it's first of all, welcome to the first explicit episode of We've Lost the Plot. I'm so sorry. It so took us this long. The bullet is, so deep throat is a porn thing it's a question i've wondered forever is it a porn thing and it is yeah and i think this really does get into one of my main points about this book right so deep throat served as one of the most important sources in the washington post's coverage of watergate he was never directly like revealed or or quoted as a source but he was always used to confirm what other sources said yeah woodward would meet him in a parking garage yeah, and, and then and then later would like do uh, really check. cool like hotel like are the blinds up kind of stuff, which is super badass. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and super badass. Um, very spy like, and it's very cool and probably the sexiest part of the whole book. Yeah, but. and this kind of gets into what I want to talk about at this book is how it you know relates to one sec, one sec. I'm on a, I'm on the Wikipedia page for Deep Throat. It was Mark Felt as Deep Throat, right? Uh, yeah, I think in the end they decided it was um, him, but yeah, okay, it was anyway. pretty unclear for a very long time. Yeah, so uh, Deep Throat, the entire investigation was very secretive. The Nixon White House was very thorough in their secrecy and in their uh, requiring loyalty and in the way they covered it up. Nixon was never like that close to the things going on on purpose, and he didn't speak about it very often, which directly clashes Looking back on Watergate, it all seems very theatrical and very crazy and like from a movie. Right. And then we look to today with uh, the ongoing scandal. God, I wish it was still like Watergate. Right, with Donald Trump and Russia. And 
Chick-fil-A. I mean, we don't have a deep throat. I wish we did. And the They're thing about Watergate is, was it was so secretive, right? Right. And today, there's no secrecy. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna add into that is that a uh, Nixon kind of felt like Watergate was a non-issue because everyone spied on everyone, and his supporters thought the same thing. Right, which is that it didn't directly affect them, so who cared? Right, which of course we see now, but that's kind of how partisan politics play out. But I do think it's. Uh, really interesting how it's remembered as such a theatrical affair but if you live through the time you really didn't care until it got really hot right and so what i think we do today is we look to watergate and to all the president's men as a kind of form that this scandal should follow but when you get down to it the book like when you read through this book if you're trying to find a relevancy to today, you find that it kind of proves your own suspicion, like your worst suspicions, right? In that right. it happened really slowly. And yeah. <laughs> like the. Uh, a lot of people, like Woodward and Bernstein, definitely thought that Nixon should immediately be impeached or something because they were seeing all this evidence, but no one else trusted it yet. Right. So it was a very slow-moving process that involved a lot of people cooperating. And it had to be seen, you know, at the time. When you read through this book, you see how, like, you know, dirty and, and, and messy journalism was yeah. at the time. But when we look back, I'm a journalism student at NYU. Devin does it all. Theater, journalism. <laughs> and I'm so lucky to be his friend. We, uh, we talk about how the 20th century in journalism was kind of an odd time that there was a, a, a theory of objectivism and of uh, journalism being kind of beyond reproach, which is a really interesting thing today when we see a, a, a real sea change in the way journalism is done that we think is a diversion from traditional journalism, but in many ways it's a return to form. Right. And so when we look back to Watergate and to Woodward and Bernstein, we expect to see this squeaky clean 20th century objective investigative journalism where, you know, it was all done theatrically and uh, sexily. But what was done (laughs) was every single day they went through phone records and they circled stuff and they Uh like called people who didn't want to talk and that was the that was the thing right that was the work they went in and did every day and it wasn't even it didn't have like it was never objective at least like politically at any point in time i mean it started as kind of like an anti-nixon movement and they capitalized off of it to get the full story yeah it's definitely like people do remember it as like them being heroes of the time for telling the truth and it wasn't really that at all all of them hated nixon yeah and it becomes journalists (laughs) pulling at a seam to get a story more so than we have to get at the truth and get at you know i i compare it to and you should talk about this in a minute uh i compared reading this book i was listening to the spotlight soundtrack while reading this on the plane (laughs) we can't even begin to compare the two i think uh all the president's men kind of set the scene for a lot of these dramatic retellings of journalistic inquiry like we see the post and and things like that but you know uh kill the messenger that's a good one yeah yeah but you know with spotlight it was a small group of people dedicated to the truth and to righting wrongs because it was about you know child molestation i would say that uh this might be going off topic a little, but like the Boston Globe itself is pretty, of the newspapers I've read, it's pretty nonpartisan. 
and they uh, the spotlight team really does try to get to the core of problems i know right now they just released a whole editorial on being black in boston and it's like the craziest series i've ever read in my life yeah yeah it's really fun living in boston yeah uh kind of reading their work yeah everywhere but the way we look at the story of nixon and the way we look at the story of uh the catholic church story have kind of become the same which is very odd because they definitely existed in different eras and existed with different you know teams different political motivations right so why would we continue to look at all the president's men spotlight the post and the current scandal as kind of all being a part of the same journalistic narrative and i think when you read through this book you kind of realize how (laughs) how much that assumption and those uh narratives are wrong just because they're definitely the book's kind of boring i would say it's really boring right so you i would say like and devin and i talked about this there's a reason it did poorly as a book but very good as a movie and it's they cut out all the boring stuff and added a fun soundtrack and you gave them who are the actors in it i know i'm i love movies i can't remember who's in it uh dustin hoffman rob redford yeah jack warden martin balsam like Uh, you took these like really fun actors at the time and well, and doesn't and that's such a good story and it's also by the time the movie came out everyone was anti-nixon anyways right and doesn't that exactly prove my point right. of we romanticize it we exactly. dramatize and say, it even even with the uh spotlight when the editorial came out people didn't believe it and the spotlight team almost like ended right because they put out an, such an anti-catholic piece in a very catholic state and then, like, it swept the world. Yeah. And now and now everyone's pro-spotlight, but they weren't then. Right. And I think we talked about this prior, just to get back to the kind of point. It might be better to, in terms of a enjoyable experience, it might be better to watch the movie if you're looking for the uh, the story, right? That right. If, you're, if you're looking into All the President's Men as a story, then you should watch the movie. But if you're looking at it from a historical perspective, and I think if you read this book as a, you know, as a, as a history rather than some big narrative, I think like it's you, much when, more useful. I know that when I was going in to read it, I kind of expected it to be like the movie, where it's a little bit more of a mystery. And it wasn't at right. all. Uh, it the wasn't, way it read to it me wasn't was a drama. Like, it was yeah, awful. Exactly. And so I think we talked about this a bit. I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book. And I know you, you found it kind of dry and boring, which is understandable. Yeah. But I think the difference that we find is what we went into it looking for. You know, I was going into it as a journalism student who wanted to read the day-to-day work that went on and exactly what the people at the Washington Post did to slowly but surely unravel this story and you went into the book looking for a, you know a, a drama uh, yeah i mean like my mom my mom used to be a crime reporter and so i was kind of looking for something like that like her stories and it was really boring and now right. i'm starting to think about my mom's own stories and how much <laughs> she cut out of it yeah so <laughs> i i think this this book serves a really interesting purpose today in that it the movie serves probably a detrimental idea in modern politics and it's that of you know these objective truth seekers being crusaders and and fighting and it being some drama 
whereas right. the book serves as a kind of reality check of it's definitely it takes work yeah and i know i'm never watching the movie the same way again <laughs> yeah and and maybe you know i think that this podcast's with fiction books serves a very different purpose than it might with nonfiction books, which I'm totally open to, and I think you will be as well, right. that, you know, the way we read books uh, and the, the way we view the lenses we read them through will always affect the way we feel about the book afterwards, and those lenses are important, and those lenses are, I think, just as worthy of discussion as the books themselves. I was going to briefly, briefly mention that um, in the story, there is a lot of things that obviously Woodward and Bernstein cut out to make it to make it more focused on their work. But there are right. so many stories they could have told instead that they definitely came across, but they just didn't talk about. Yeah. Um, and there's like the first one being the Martha Mitchell story, which is a crazy story. Yeah, and I, and I, I just wish that the... they devoted like one second to it. But uh, Martha Mitchell. I, I was super, I saw, they, like, mentioned it in the story. They said that uh, Martha Mitchell, who used to be, like, an actress, kind of, like, bl- uh, blonde bombshell southern woman from Arkansas who had, who was a crazy drunk and called journalists all the time to tell them what was happening because her husband, uh, who was, what's her husband, uh, what's his name? Is I, They always call him Mitchell. Yeah, but he was like important. the he was like the chief of staff right at the White House and she used to listen to his conversations and then tell like she'd get drunk and then tell reporters what was happening in the White House. Yeah, which um, legendary. Which is I love her. <laughs> but she found out about Watergate like right after it happened, before it hit any like news at all and in and at, she was on the phone with her best friend talking about it and then her husband rushes in and like knocks her to the ground and then all these like a lot of the Watergate men themselves and like the the president's men come in and they them. like literally all the president's men come in and they use like a narcotic kind of and knock her out and it completely ruined her life afterwards yeah because people just didn't trust her anymore because she was like crazy martha mitchell who was going on about how the president was lying and she had the truth the whole time and i just think it's interesting that woodward and bernstein in their story just kind of glossed over such an interesting little story in it that could have and i mean i don't know i think that today in politics or sorry during that time in politics, a story like that could have just as easily unraveled a presidency like Nixon's. Exactly. Because everyone loved Martha Mitchell. Yeah, everyone like, loved Martha Mitchell. She, she was so, at, like, at her funeral, someone put out all, like, uh, uh, like all these white chrysanthemums, and it, they spelled out, like, Martha was right, and it's right oh, over wow. her coffin. Because she, like, died of shame, essentially. That's crazy. Because It was crazy. And, like, they completely, they could have focused on that and gotten to their story faster. I don't know. It's just, like, interesting what they chose to, like, do and what, like, their methods and what Woodward and Bernstein eventually put in their own book and stuff like that. I don't yeah. know. I yeah. really like the Martha Mitchell story. And I, uh, I, like, listened to a podcast about it and then, like, read a little book about it. And No, that's, like, super, I mean, that kind of gets into actually kind of your your bullet point here that all the president's men is very much a product of the time it came out right that right. and and so was the watergate story 
that today the president is not being investigated for bugging a political opponent. He's being investigated for collusion with a foreign government, right? Right. In the same way that in the time of all the president's men, what Woodward and Bernstein would have gone after is the, you know, the money and the way that these burglars got paid versus a woman being right. attacked and besmirched she like she knew men. it already and people silenced her and right. then she like divorced her husband yeah and, and like, woodward and bernstein and they just completely skipped that story right <laughs> and, they, and they most likely had the ability to know that story and if they did and they <laughs> did not use that as the main thrust of the story they're somewhat complicit in what happened to martha mitchell past then right and right. we can look to today that the circumstances that would bring down a president are much different right that in 2017 we have uh, a president who just last week there was a report in i i forget what newspaper it was that uh donald trump paid a porn star to stay quiet about an extramarital affair in 2006 and that oh stormy oh stormy i just Every time story, I see a headline, I lose my mind. If that story came out in 1972, <laughs> that would have taken down a president, right? And yeah. today, it didn't even last 24 hours in our news cycle. No, and I hate that that was like story number two yeah, this weekend. And, like. and we can really draw a very clear line between the quality of a book like All the President's Men versus a book today like Fire and Fury. Right. That... <laughs> perhaps the reason you should read a book like all the president's men is to give us an idea of what the world was like before this horrible terrible time right oh, that, you know for us as young people this is just the world we live in right we and, are just here <laughs> right and i mean we did have eight years of you know a scandal free white house and that was pretty dope it was pretty dope i really miss and, that but we have to remember that we did grow up in the time of George W. Bush and right. invasion of Iraq ha and the Devin, scandal how could I forget that. about W? I live in his town. <laughs> um, but we, <laughs> I drive we, on the uh, George W. Bush turnpike every day. Yeah, so, you know, as kids, we were kind of, we were raised to kind of expect that from our presidents. <laughs> so when Obama came, we were like, this is lovely. And I really, I remember the day have... he got inaugurated and being like, I'm calm. And I was like <laughs> in third grade. <laughs> and uh, then we moved to Donald Trump. And part of us is shocked, right? Part of us right. knows that this isn't right. But a large part of our generation is also just like, oh, no, this is what happens. It's like, you um, know, and, you know, and that's really which sad. Generation? Well, like, which generation was the silent generation? Is that the one after World War One? Um... I think the lost generation is World War One. That's that's the yeah. What's the one after World War One? Um, I think the Silent Generation. They are two generations under the lost. They were after World War One. Yeah, after World okay. War One. You're right. I always thought they were kind of comparable to us. Yeah, like kind of I, I had this discussion. Worst. Yeah, I had this discussion with with somebody. I think yesterday that you know. It, it might be the reason that baby boomers despise us so much, right? Is because we are their parents. Right. Um, and a lot of 
what we... We're very negative and very sarcastic, which is not what the baby boomers are. Right, and what we may have is uh, a generation, and I hope this is not the case, but, you know, for the silent generation, there there were a, a lot of leaders in the civil rights movement that came from the silent generation, but right. that most of us, most of us, most of them are characterized by the fact that they were silent, right? That they focused on their careers and that they conformed to social norms because they saw activism as a moot point, right? Because they grew up through the through the Great Depression, and right, they the presidents that they were children during were the, the do nothing presidents of the Republican twenties, which you know. I know we can... I talk about how much I like Gatsby, but man, I could not have lasted a moment under Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly right. So I, I think again. It all gets back to perhaps all the president's men should serve our generation in a this is how this is how things should be, you know, right. um, and kind of a reminder that this is not always the way that that America is in a lot of ways shitty. Right. Right. But that there is power in a small group of people wanting that to change. And definitely. And, and I think wanting. That... Go ahead. I, oh, I just think that when you have examples like uh, like the All the President's Men, man, I almost forgot the name of the book <laughs> that I just read, uh, it does give you kind of an example of how younger people banding together to kind of take down a bigger power. I right. mean, everyone who was in the Watergate investigation was like late 20s. Yeah. And, and I that's mean, we kind can, of nice. <laughs> we can pretty clearly like find other stories that better exemplify that idea. It does, but, yeah. But, you know, this is also just happens to be it's one just, that takes down a president who was It's just nice gross. sometimes when yeah. you when they remind you that he's that Woodward's like 27. I'm making that up completely. I don't know how <laughs> old he is. I just know that the people who worked for him were really young. Yeah, yeah. And I do think, yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good, I don't think we have any more bullet points. Yeah, I, I'm killing it today. <laughs> we are really killing it. It's been a very long break for me. And my brain turned off. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I think once we get back into the groove of work, because I think we should talk about this, it's really hard to read a book like this over a break. Yeah, like, it is. This is the kind of book really that you read, you know, during, <laughs> during school. Yeah. It definitely felt like a homework assignment to me, other than, like, because most of the books you read have, like, these really daring plots, and you're so excited because they were like game changers and this right. one was and like wasn't this an a idea? textbook what, like didn't you kind of expect that from this book yeah. like where you're like oh i've seen the movie absolutely yeah i've seen the movie a and lot totally i really like the that. movie um but uh, and of course we we just happen to fall on different sides of like i think that it's its merits come from different places than the other books we've read yeah, um, I mean, like, it's still, like, it's a, I'm gonna say it's a good book. It's a it good book. A it explains good everything book. very well. It's just not a very, like, Exciting riveting book. book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that that's fine. And that's, I yeah, still think fine. you should read it. I, I think the movie's better. Yeah, I maybe, think you know, read the movie. We talked, Watch. we talked, we talked last, whoops, episode. I, like, totally almost knocked over my uh, microphone. Okay. Um, phone, microphone, it's a phone. Uh, <laughs> it's a <very> tiny <laughs> phone. We talked, uh, shut up, we talked last uh, time about how if you're, you shouldn't, like, read Shakespeare, you should watch it. 
Yeah. And I feel like there's a similar thing that maybe you shouldn't read investigative <laughs> journalism behind the scenes stories and just watch the movie. Yeah. See, I'm going <laughs> to disagree a bit with you here because I think oh that <laughs> that the points that the points are different, right? That Shakespeare is a theater piece. Therefore, you should watch it started. in a theater. This is my versus fault, reading it. Listeners versus Devin all the president's is a men, theater major which and the a newspaper story, major. Right, I don't know what I was thinking. The story inherent <laughs> is the reality check that comes from seeing that it was a lot of hard, boring work, and that maybe dramatizing it into an hour and a half long movie versus an incredibly two and dense and a half five, hours. Two and a half long mo- hour movie versus an incredibly dense five hundred page book. So that dense. The, the words were so small they don't you know those those two things i don't think we should compare all the president's men to shakespeare i don't think we should in any way right does that make sense <sighs> i zoned out a little bit i think that my metaphor still stands my comparison <laughs> i i think some things I think are better on the same thing on the same page <laughs> when it comes to it depends on what you want to get out of the, the yeah. material that if you're yeah. looking for a riveting story then yes, watch the movie. But if you're looking for what really matters about the situation, starring kind of hot Robert Redford, then watch the movie. Yes. (laughs) And okay, Dustin Hoffman. And okay, Dustin. If you're looking for okay, Dustin Hoffman, and all the President's Men, the 1974 film is the film for you. Yes, exactly. I think it was 74. It might be 1976. I, I think it was later than 74. It's 76. I was pretty close. 1974 okay, was the year the book came out. Yes. All right. I do quickly. think that that is going right. to be the end. Um, it was a quick pod, but I think that that's fine. We'll come up with something better next time. More to talk about. <laughs> no, I, I really don't think I, – I think that this, this discussion is I, – I think that we will find in – our nonfiction books that the discussions will be rather short because they're more about why we should read them and why they're relevant versus going through the actual story that's being told right yeah definitely so next episode on the podcast we're going to talk to henry ainsworth who's a classmate of mine about the most dangerous game which is a short story by richard connell and yeah that's the plan okay um so make sure you like and subscribe if you're listening and tell your friends all about us and also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at at lost the pod. No. Nope. Nope. At lost every the plot. Time. Nope. Every time. <laughs> what is it? So Lost the Plot Pod. I got it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow I us on Twitter at, at Lost the Plot Pod. You can also <laughs> subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever else you find podcasts. You can find the RSS. Is it really feed where are we on Spotify? We're yet? not on Spotify. Shush. You can also find the RSS feed uh, at feeds.feedburner.com slash we've lost the plot. And if you really enjoyed, you can rate us on iTunes and Please that really that. helps out. Or you can tell a friend who you think would enjoy. That's really the best Please way to get comments. us out there. I like reading your comments. We only have one. And I'm, we also I had a very nice comments. discussion on Twitter about The Great Gatsby. And oh, those yeah. are really fun. So drop us a line at, at LostThePlotPod on Twitter. Thanks. All right. Thanks. <laughs> uh, read, re- go read a book or something. Outro music. Outro music. Thank you so much, Jack Samuels, for providing the intro music and the brand new outro music, which debuted in the last episode. And I'm very happy with it. Make sure you listen to our old stuff. Yeah, listen to our old stuff. We have our old, an episode our old on Fahrenheit 451, The Great Gatsby, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Hamlet.
Yeah. All right. And they're all very fun. Later. Later.